Chapter Eleven of *The Untempered Wind* by Joanna Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. All things rejoiced beneath the sun: the weeds, the river, and the cornfields, and the reeds, the willow leaves that glanced in the light breeze, and the firm foliage of the larger trees the rain that brought back sense and sound to myron holder lasted for three days falling steadily during that time it was succeeded by the most joyous of weather the spring was past the grass grew lush and green beside the little waterways that the rain had created by the roadside these mimic rivers had in miniature all the diversities and beauties of their greater brethren there was a gradual decline from the inland to the lake and adown this many of these evanescent streams found their way the stream that passed the dean's farm was the very epitome of life now a large stone obstructed its course and divided its shallow flood which crept sadly round either side of this rocky islet to gush gaily together beyond it after a short space of calm it rushed against an upturned sod and broken and ragged fell in tatters over the brink into the little pool below in whose tiny vortex floated twigs and bits of last year's grass and perchance a glistening white feather from the breast of a gull freed from its durance in the pool and not yet schooled to peace and patience the stream sped on hastily and noisily striving to find its way between the interlaced red roots of a cedar its haste to get out into the sunlight defeated its object and the close-knit fibres flung it back again and again but it returned to the charge with tiny banners of foam and ripples of defiance so the strife continued until the gathering ranks of water rose strong enough to toss the foremost clear over the barriers and the stream went on its way cheerily until the dark culvert that took it across the road was reached and as souls that plunge into the darkness of death leave all behind them so this little stream left its foam its ripples its burden of twigs and wisps of grass and all its infinitesimal flotsam and jetsam and essayed the darksome passage a naked little stream once out in the light again it rippled on reflectively until at last its tribute wave delivered it merged its identity in the lake losing and here we cry with breathless lips let it be like the soul in this also losing all puny consciousness of individual existence only aware of being a part of that shining reservoir dispensing beneficent gifts to air and blessing and being blessed by the sun that shone down more sweetly now upon it than when it was a vain and fretting brook the broad burdock leaves grew so rapidly in these days that their unstable stalks could not sustain them and they trailed near the ground bleached and unhealthy-looking defacing the plant they should have adorned like purposes unfulfilled for lack of will the wood violets spent all their surplus sap in leaves and their later blooms were smothered in this luxuriance of foliage as good resolves die mid many words 
in the maples besides the singing of birds there was now to be heard the lisp of leaves murmuring nature's alphabet the swallows did not fly about so wildly nor the bobolink singing soar so high for the swallows hovered ever near the gray eaves of the barns where in their clay houses the white eggs were being patiently warmed to life and the bobolink that slyest of birds lingered ever in the grass meadows where upon a nest hid most cunningly its mate sat listening to its singing the ponds and the margins of the lake were alive with wriggling tadpoles and bing white hung enchanted over a pool left at the foot of his father's field where when the sun was high the water spiders darted hither and thither it was not the insects being watched but the shadows cast by them upon the sandy bottom of the pool for by a conspiracy between the water and the sun the minute discs that form the feet of these creatures and enable them to walk upon the water in very truth were magnified a thousand times and this enlarged refraction like spots of gold wavered through the water in consonance with the spider's movements on the surface when the sun shone brightly the spiders came out in force and darted about untiringly it was as though the spiders wove a web of shining water flinging round golden bobbins through the woof and weft of their fabric a little fawn-coloured wild duck belated in its journey to the north came to this pool a solitary but contented little bird until bing stoned it so persistently that it flew away one day never to return the spring grains were growing strongly and the fall wheat was tall and vividly green except that patches bare save for knotty roots upthrown upon the surface showed where upon the high ground it had been winter killed or spaces of bleached and yellowed blades indicated where in the hollows the heavy rains had drowned it out the blossoming of the fruit trees was past that marvellous season of efflorescence and beauty when the air is heavy with perfume and the paths strewn with petals the rose and white of the apples the mother-of-pearl purity of the cherry the fragrant ivory of the pears loose-leaved plum flowers and the hiding faint pink quince blooms these and the peach blows that made gay and glad the gardens and the orchards and the woodlands and the lanes rejoiced also for theirs were the cloyingly sweet blooms of the pea-tree and the insignificant-looking but honey-smelling flowers of the locust the bitter-sweet blossoms of the wild plum so finely cut in tiny petals so filled with snow-white stamens so thickly massed together as to make the tree seem a fragrant snow-cloud then there was the red and pink of the natural apples the ungrafted trees that had sprung up in every neighboring woodland their taste was insipid and had a peculiar smoky flavor but their blossoms were not less sweet than those of their cultured kinsfolk and side by side with them stood the choke-cherry 
with its long sprays of fragile blossoms that nauseate with their odour best of all either in woodland or garden orchard or lane there was the wild crab-apple upon whose gnarled and thorny branches grew its unspeakably sweet flower the pink-veined petals folded about its perfumed centre or opening but an hour or two to disclose its golden heart then paling and falling overcome by its own breath for in the perfume of the wild crab-apple there lies all the story of the year all the life of love it has taken to itself all the sweetness the bitterness the languors the fever the desire the satiety the distaste the joy the sting of winter the swoon of summer the expectancy of spring the overcoming of autumn taken all and mingling it with that we dream of but know not offers it to us upon thorny branches and the fruit of these blossoms is bitter when the bloom was gone from all the trees then the bees began to hum about the currant bushes sipping the sweets of their green flowers and there rose from orchard and field the savour of grape bloom for jamestown sent many hundred tons of grapes to the wine factories every year and around the fences or over the cedars there grew the fox grape the chicken grape and the bitter wild grape from which they distill a syrup for the throat mrs dean's garden was made planted from side to side with vegetables daily growing higher the leaves were thickening on the currant bushes and the young grape leaves were losing their downy whiteness and growing green and thick young turkeys goslings ducks and baby chickens disputed with each other for the food dispensed so liberally to them but mrs deans ruled her poultry-yard as she did her other belongings with a rod of iron the turkeys were the aristocrats of the place they ate milk white curds and chopped lettuce and boiled eggs minced fine with pepper the rest fared on common meal only all the spare time the bound girl had was spent in digging worms for the ducks see that big worm there myron she said one day pointing to a huge wriggling worm that two ducks were disputing possession of see that worm well that's mrs dean's of all the trouble that contrary critter give me i can't tell it near wore me out a diggin and a diggin now it's in trouble its own self you see it'll be torn in two yet yes glad of it there it goes that'll happen to mrs dean's some day when the lord gets hold of her hush i won't hush ain't she always a jangling jangling is something i can't abide and how she goes it about nothing at all she'll be tore in two along o her ways see if she ain't with which satisfactory and encouraging prophecy liz betook herself indoors mrs deans had never found the time to go to mrs white's but when one day her son gamaliel told her he had seen homer wilson and myron talking together in the open village street the heart of mrs deans burned within her and she reproached herself that she had not gone sooner if she waited any longer it might be stale news 
if they were brazen enough to talk to each other on the street people jamestown people would not fail to notice it now that there was a possibility of other lips telling young ann white of homer wilson's badness mrs deans felt it incumbent upon her to act at once to arise in her strength and baffle the designs of the evil one upon the unsuspecting citadel of young ann white's heart mrs deans called it to herself putting homer wilson's nose out of joint in that quarter anyhow but the phrase matters little the intention expressed being identical to stir up the lazy and strengthen the weak is a proceeding much to be admired doubtless being enjoined by no less authoritative edict than the westminster confession and however mrs deans regarded the latter half of the injunction she had nothing to reproach herself with in view of one of its requirements that mrs deans regarded all people under her as being lazy as well as the majority of her neighbors may be taken as granted it will therefore be seen that she had little time for the latter half of the command before she left for mrs white's that day she went to the kitchen and gave liz and myron an eloquent extempore narration of their past sins and shortcomings their present delinquencies their future state of sin and misery proceeding to a peroration regarding the probabilities of their immortal lives and rounding off her address with a pleasant prediction of eternal perdition for both of them having given them tasks they could not possibly perform before her return mrs deans turned her attention to her husband as he could not move about much and as he had a maddening gift for holding his tongue mrs deans was often exasperated by him upon this occasion having absolutely no handle to hinge her remarks upon she contented herself with a few well-considered and audible reflections upon his utter uselessness either to god or man as she put it which threw such a burden upon her helpless shoulders then she picked up his plug of chewing tobacco and narrowly regarded how much of it was gone with a view to gauging the quantity he consumed in her absence he squirmed under this it affected him more than bitter words having made every one as uncomfortable as possible mrs deans went her way myron and liz went out to their hoeing liz saying when once out of earshot of mr deans did ye hear her just myron with that talk about eternal lakes of burning what's eternal but continual and if mrs deans ain't a continual burning torment her own self i'll never drink water ain't she now myron why don't you speak out and say what you think keep still told us not to talk of course she did she'd stop the dogs from barking if she could i'll talk all i like old stiffen can't see me till i get past the third currant bush and i'll take care to be quiet then old wretch he is i'd like to scald him some day to see if that would limber him up and take him out of the kitchen a watchin and a watchin 
liz as a matter of fact talked more than she hoed but she had worked hard in a compulsory silence since daybreak so it was hardly to be wondered at that she should be both slow and voluble now myron's own eyes were heavy and as she bent above her hoeing her hands were none too eager for the toil nor her feet too ready to advance she worked on steadily though and was beginning a new row before liz completed her first one as liz passed her after some time to begin her second row she said in an explosive undertone you can't scare me with no hell-fire after living along a mrs dean's then seeing myron paid no heed she muttered to herself and old stiffen too he'll sicken any devil a watchin and a watchin liz it will be seen was not the model child of story-book fame the girl was the ordinary type of her class with a thousand inherited failings a dozen minor vices but against these she had a heart that ached for love a tongue that told the truth though it earned a blow a generous and impulsive soul but alas in mrs dean's house she absorbed naught of good to offset her faults save the virtue of courage and endurance which seeing myron holder's bravery she cultivated through shame the hours passed watching the girls as closely as he could henry deans sat blinking in the sun like a malevolent lizard lying in wait for flies mrs deans meantime made her way along the road to mrs white's the white house stood back some distance from the road and was approached by a long narrow lane bordered by weather-beaten rail fences none too well kept mrs deans thought wrathfully as she stumbled over a broken rail the grass had grown so rank about it that it was almost entirely hidden mrs deans inveighed against shiftlessness in general and the white type in particular all the way to the front door whose iron handle and heavy knocker bespoke the age of the house it was indeed one of the old landmarks built at a time when the settlers hewed the finest oak trees in the wood for their kitchen rafters and begrudged not to use the magnificent black walnuts for their stairs this house had been the first one in jamestown to have shutters massive solid affairs of oak adjusted and held in place by heavy bars of iron that extended diagonally across them the whites however were much distressed by the old style of these shutters and a year or two previously had substituted modern green slatted shutters upon the front of the house young ann white answered mrs dean's knock and ushered her in with awkward cordiality young ann white's name was ossie annie abby maria white named after four aunts and her pa as mrs white said the jamestown people pronounced the first three names with a strong accent upon the first syllable and the middle syllable of maria they clung to until they lost breath and relinquished it with a gasp as they uttered it miss white's name was a sentence by itself 
mrs white came bustling in before mrs deans got seated and after expressing her pleasure at seeing her saying i declare jane the sight of you's good for sore eyes entered with great zest into the discussion of village gossip mrs white's sitting-room was an apartment that evidenced loudly the taste and industry of mrs white and her daughter it had a botten carpet on the floor and upon this were strewn hooked mats of strange and wonderful design trees with roses daisies and blue flowers of name unknown growing luxuriantly upon every branch bright yellow horses and green dogs stood together upon the same mat in millennium-like peace undisturbed by the red birds and white cats that enjoyed the same vantage-ground with them but finer than any of the others was the black mat placed in the centre of the floor as being less likely to be trodden upon there its design was a salmon-pink girl in a green dress by what was little less than inspiration mrs white had formed the eyes out of two large and glistening black buttons the chairs were black haircloth each adorned with a crocheted tidy worked by miss white the making of these tidies was her life by means of them she divided her life into times and seasons her one tragedy was compassed by the unholy fate of one which being just completed fell into the paws and from thence to the jaws of a mischievous collie puppy and was speedily reduced to rags her great achievement was the making of a rose of sharon tidy out of number one hundred thread she could always fix any date by recalling what tidy she was engaged upon at the time there was the spider-web tidy the sheaves of wheat the rose of sharon the double wheel one she called a fancy patterning tidy and another was known as the one in strips the room had a large old-fashioned mantelpiece of heavy oak beneath it had been a huge square fireplace big enough to hold a roaring fire of logs but the massive fireboard stood before it winter and summer now for it was never used the fireboard was also of oak darkened to that tint that the virtuoso loves and the dealer in spurious antiques strives after in vain but this year mrs white had papered it over with wallpaper pink roses on a white ground and a blue border it does look so much more genteel and cheerful said mrs white and mrs deans agreed with her the mantel was decked with a gaudy china vase with paper flowers in it a lamp in the oil of which was a piece of red flannel thought to be decorative as it showed through the glass a cross cut out of perforated cardboard and two curious round objects like spheres of finely carven wood these were clove apples it was common in polite society in jamestown to ask how old is your clove apple the answer was usually given in years and would have greatly surprised any stranger to clove apples to make a clove apple they selected the largest specimen of apple to be found and in jamestown that meant a very big apple indeed 
having got the apple the next proceeding was to stick it full of clothes as closely as possible that was all the clothes absorbed and dried the juices of the apple the apple shrunk and shrunk wedging the clothes tighter and tighter together until at last they became so tightly welded together by the pressure that it was absolutely impossible to pull pry or cut one out they were popular ornaments in jamestown sitting-rooms mrs white when any reference to clove apples was made invariably said that she remembered the time when tomatoes were called love apples and kept for ornamings by which she meant ornaments the walls of mrs white's sitting-room were hung with pictures there was a highly colored print representing a pair of white kittens against a red velvet background playing with dominoes there was a glazed chromo of a preternaturally blonde baby sleeping in a preternaturally green field bestrewn with preternaturally white daisies a woodcut of abraham lincoln one of queen victoria and a diploma for the excellence of mr white's fat cattle completed the decoration of the walls except above the door where purple wools on a perforated cardboard asked again the piercing question what is home without a mother there was a centre table with a large bible overlaid with a crocheted mat upon it and a home-made footstool that tripped you up every time you entered the room mrs deans had brought no work with her and when mrs white produced a basket and began to piece a block of a quilt mrs deans begged for thread and needle young ann white rose to get them and mrs deans said well ann now who's this quilt for the girl bridled and tossed her head until her rough hair stood on end her dull skin and phlegmatic temperament made blushing an impossibility mrs white broke in with boisterous good humour oh ann knows who it's fur all right enough it's a poor hen can't scratch for one chick and that's all sam and me has got one apiece ann and bing ann's got eight quilts all pieced now this is the album pattern when i finish this i'm going to work on a rising sun and show mrs deans that lace you made for pillowcases ann and went to obey she's so set on them things continued her mother in an undertone with many nods and head shakings so set on em it's really wonderful it makes me real nervous sometimes there was sarah my cousin twice removed by marriage on sam's side and when she had consumpting nothing would do but she must have a boughten feather time and time again i argued with her but never to no account a boughten feather she would have and being near the end and being the only one the clem whites has had why they took to it that they'd humour her so one day off clem started and got the feather he went to a millinery store and he says says he if the feather don't suit the lady if it ain't becomin he said for the clerk looked up sharp if it ain't becomin clem said being always one to use fine language if it ain't becomin i'll bring it back and change it for something else 
so he took the feather home and three days after sarah died real reconciled cos she'd got the feather they was real afraid she'd ask them to bury it with her she thought so much of it but they'd head her off if they thought she was going to speak of it and remind her her end was near which didn't make her enjoy the feather any the less but just made her say less about it well when the end came it came sudden and she had no time to ask any promises but she held on to it and when they drawed the pilly away she still had it in her hand well her mother took it back to the millinery store and got a whole black bunnet for the price of that feather it's terrible what they do ask for them they say sam warner's wife had more than an idea of getting one in the city when they went down to sell the wool but i guess she thought that would be just a little more than his people would stand and give up the idea but pshaw i wouldn't be surprised any day to see her with a feather she's bought buttoned shoes for that young one of hers why my land our anne never had a pair of buttoned shoes till long after she had spoke in after meeting but anne's so set on them things it fairly makes me wonder if it ain't a warning that she'll be cut down you know how tis with us all jane the flower fadeth here anne returned with various rolls of crochet trimming for mrs deans to see she unpinned the ends extended them upon her black apron and waited the praise she deserved mrs deans gave it liberally but did not fail to describe the work she had seen at mrs wilson's left there by one of her market customers who came out to spend the day mrs deans described this production in such marvellous terms that anne gathered up her treasures quite sadly and as she pinned up each fat little roll wondered if by any possibility she could get the pattern anne sat down to a tidy of intricate design her mother babbled on about bing and anne and her chickens and her garden mrs deans felt irritated the door of the sitting-room opened upon the veranda it was flung wide open and held back by a cloth-covered brick and the sunshine streamed gloriously across the gaudy mats mrs white was flowery of speech being much given to the quoting of scripture and apt to indulge in poetical similes drawn from the poetry of mrs hemans as used in the school books she was herself a poet of wide local repute having composed the epitaph for a son lost in babyhood engraved upon his tombstone it read good-bye young william henry white the fever took you from me quite the time has come for us to sever but william henry not for ever mrs white wore her hair still dark and abundant in rows of curls it was only after anne grew up that she discarded the blue ribbon she had affected since her own girlhood sitting in the sunshine mrs deans felt this comfortable self-satisfaction to be an unholy thing upon the part of the whites so she said abruptly isn't it a terrible thing about homer wilson well it'll teach marianne a lesson she set too much store on homer altogether i knowed what homer wilson was long before this came out why jane i never heard anything against homer what do you mean 
asked mrs white looking over her spectacles at mrs deans why they say but i don't want this mentioned anne i want this kept particular confidential between us two and no one else to be the wiser though the talk's getting round as others can tell beside me but what folks tell is that if myron holder's young one ain't named homer it ain't because it hadn't ought to be well my lands said mrs white whilst her daughter said nothing but got up and went out of the room yes said mrs deans that's what they say and i could tell things but standing in the light of one who's tried to do the best she can for everybody i never said a word but there there's no use talking over them the point was i felt it a duty when i heard he was sitting up with your anne mrs deans paused there was no reply so she continued i felt you ought to know the truth of how things stood so putting aside my own feelings as i have to do very often i came to let you know what sort of a fellow homer wilson is to think of it said mrs white truly this life is but a fleeting show homer wilson what he has said to anne i can't say not knowing but as for sitting up whatever sitting up was done was done irregular now and then as luck chanced there was nothing regular no promising no conversational lozenges no buggy drives no anne ain't no call to be worried though it's terrible to think how he'll suffer when he knows anne is not for him can never be his no that hope is gone no homer wilson thou must go thy ways withouten help from anne mrs deans felt exasperated such stuff and nonsense she thought homer wilson would never look at anne white if he could get another girl anne white indeed she woke from her silence with a start well i'm glad it's no worse she said only you'd better tell anne to be careful for people are so ready with their tongues just let me hear any one mention anne's name and his'n said mrs white just let me hear em and they'll have to prove their sayings tell it in the country tell it in the court is my motto i'd never stand no creepin sneakin talk about my folks here she was interrupted by her son bing who dashed along the veranda flung himself down on the open doorstep and ejaculated bat spring bedbugs what said mrs deans for the land's sake bing what are you talking about asked his mother bats said bing chattering his words out with his customary rapidity caught one in the back bedroom between the shutter and the window bites like the mischief got round ears that stick up got fur on it got leather wings and bedbugs under em well it beats all said his mother and mrs deans looked at him curiously but keen as her eyes were they saw no change in him from the boy of four or five years back for although bing was between sixteen and seventeen he was no larger than a child of twelve an ill-conditioned withered hard little figure his frame was spare his little face with its high cheekbones was always flushed as though fevered by a dry and burning heat 
his eyes were very light blue very small very cruel-looking they were set in a network of wrinkles his hands were horny and thin he stayed but a moment then rushed off as quickly as he had come bing don't grow much said mrs deans with a curious intonation in her voice and a covert glance at mrs white mrs white looked a little uncomfortable and answered rather hastily no the whites is all slow growers sam grew after we was married and sam's brother grew till he began to get bald mrs deans preserved a disagreeable silence young anne entered the room as composedly as she had left it where have you been anne asked her mother a little sharply fixing curds for the turkeys said the girl placidly well i declare i'd forgotten it entire said mrs white i am glad to find that you have such a thoughtful mind oh ma said young anne in an acme of admiration mrs white smiled as who should say i can't restrain my muse and continued in the same voice shall we go out and see the feathered tribe eat their humble portion mrs deans rose gladly and out they went into the sunshine it was one of those days so perfect if one can enjoy it without toil in darkened rooms or shady nooks so intolerable if bodily toil beneath the blazing sun is demanded they went about leisurely watched the melancholy young turkeys picking daintily at their food encouraged to the attack by the solitary little chicken that was domiciled in their coop when the turkey eggs were hatching careful poultry-keepers put one hen egg in with them so that the chicken might show them how to eat this one a vigorous little black spanish chick certainly performed its duties nobly its compact little body darting here and there among the turkeys staggering about on their long fragile legs they passed bing lying on his back under a chestnut tree mrs deans and mrs white grew very affable over the poultry and the clouds dropped down with the dewy darkness of a moonless summer night before mrs deans went home she was upon the whole dissatisfied with her visit those whites were so disgustingly equable so ridiculously pleased with themselves and that being white of all the objects mrs deans slept at last her brows drawn in the ill-natured pose her thoughts suggested the whites slumbered peacefully save where bing lay his eyes gleaming in the dark as he dreamt long waking dreams of ghastly pleasures but he too slept at last his fingers twitching as he slept his lips like two streaks of blood myron holder slept the too sound sleep of weariness her yellow-haired baby on her breast her face placid and calmed into severe lines of beauty homer wilson tossed and flung his strong arm above his head and murmured a woman's name and crossed it with another clinched his upraised hand and murmuring slept deeper and deeper fell the silence darker and darker grew the midnight 
heavier and heavier sleep sank upon those different hearts until they all beat with the measured cadence of oblivion until albeit delayed by devious paths and difficult gates they all reached the poppied meadow of deep sleep End of chapter 11